We're closing out our series, Rhythm, moving from surviving to thriving. Uh, I told you from the very get-go, this series is deeply personal to me. It's one in which I feel like John 15 is my theme passage for the year where I feel God's saying, if you do nothing else, do this. And for us as a church, if we, if we long to be what we say we're going to be about awakening this generation to new life, seeing this city change, that it starts here with you and me, with us together collectively saying, we're going to be about this. This must be our theme passage. As I've wrestled this last week, we're, we're closing out the series in, in the text my prayer was shifting. A lot of times when kind of preparing, I'm praying, God, what, what do you want to say? How do you, how do you want to speak? How do you want to move? And, and it's just real, it's by Wednesday or Thursday, and I, I was kind of stuck, if I'm honest. Uh, I've been studying hard, going, okay, God, what do you want to say? And I just stopped asking that question. I said, God, what do you, what do you want to say to me? And so what I share tonight isn't as polished maybe as it should be or could be, but it's from the depths of what God is teaching me. In fact, I'll close tonight with just real raw, honest, where, where he worked and moved and how my life has intersected with his word and seeing how he's working. I believe for us to move from surviving to thriving, it requires a paradigm shift. It requires us to totally, radically change the way we think about our world and the way we act in our world. A paradigm shift, it was first coined by a guy named uh, Thomas Kuhn, uh, and he's, the definition of this word is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumption. A paradigm shift is, is when there's this fundamental change in your assumption about how things work or how they're supposed to be. It's a fundamental change in your approach to how you go about life or problems. Like, like one example is this, uh, is a major paradigm shift, uh, was the paradigm shift of this uh, in the scientific and uh, in the medical world it was of germ theory. Uh, you remember studying about this in germ theory and the whole idea that um, microorganisms is actually the cause for sickness. And before that, there was this theory that uh, it was miasma theory, that it was the air, polluted air, like you got the black death and you got cholera and all these other different diseases was because of the air around you. And all of a sudden, someone had a paradigm shift and said, what if... What if it's not just the air around us? What if it, there's microorganisms? Think how crazy the first person saying this had this. What if there's things you can't see that are in you that are causing you to be sick? And as a result, today we have antibiotics. It's a paradigm shift. And as a result, it changed and shaped everything. I mean, you're holding, most of you in your pockets, a paradigm shift in how we operate and function today. You have a smartphone, right? And remember that? I mean, I, I used to have to carry around boxes of cassettes in my car. Any, anybody else do that? Okay, a couple of you. Thank you. I was just curious. No one else. All right. And then there's this guy, Steve Jobs, who had this paradigm shift. What if you carried around masses and masses of music in your pocket? 
We experience them personally. We experience them relationally. There's paradigm shifts when you move from singlehood to relationship, and all of a sudden your whole world's flipped upside down. And you, from, from dating to married, it's a whole new paradigm because you move from the paradigm of me to the paradigm of we. I, I remember the paradigm shift of having kids, and our very first uh, kid and Ella came. And this is amazing. Let me tell you, if you don't have kids, this is amazing because the paradigm shift for me with our first was this capacity to love. I had no idea that I had, no, I, I'm not like a, a Grinch or anything, but I had no idea I had this capacity to love that I could look at this human being and go, whoa, I love you. And then when our second came along, when Ryder came along, I was so scared. I mean, I was so scared because I was afraid that I wouldn't love our second the way I love our first. And there's something about daddy's little girl. And I'm like, oh, I love her. And I was so nervous and I was afraid. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'll love him the way I love her. And I, there's this paradigm shift that not this capacity to love, but the expansiveness of love. That the more kids that came along, it's like that my heart and ex- love didn't diminish. It just expanded. I'm like, whoa, it blew me away. And then our third came along, and is the paradigm of chaos. <laughs> For us to move from surviving to thriving requires, demands a paradigm shift. Let me give you Jesus' paradigm shift. In case you have to leave early. He says this. The pathway to thriving is simply this. Loving others the way Jesus has loved you. It is a radical paradigm shift when we're talking about thriving. See, see, many of us read that statement and think that's what it takes to be maybe religious. That's what it takes maybe to be holy, but we don't think about that's what it takes to thrive. See, the American concept, the American paradigm of, of thriving is simply this. The more you and I have, the happier we'll be. We live in that paradigm of pursuit. We live in that paradigm of somehow achieving. We live in the paradigm that somehow the more we have of something, the higher we climb up the ladder, the better house or the nicer clothes we drive or having just the right guy or just the right girl on our arm or having the perfect family and the, and the dog or the cat or whatever it is in the picture in your mind, the more you have, the better or happier you'll be. And that is the paradigm that you and I run after and he says there is a radical shift that needs to happen and it's not just about being religious and it's not just about being right and it's not just figuring out how to get God on your side he says it is a paradigm shift in how to thrive and he says this the pathway the pathway the pathway to thriving is loving others the way Jesus loved you see the pathway isn't getting, it is giving. If you got your Bibles out, would you open them up to John 15? We're finishing up in the text here, verses 9 through 17. In order for us to do that, there's two major shifts that have to occur. First is there has to be a shift in our understanding of who God is. 
And the second shift is in our understanding of ourselves in light of who God is. The first is a shift in our view of God. And he's going to talk our view of God's heart, our view of his commands, and our view of his motives. He's going to talk in the first uh, three verses here, his heart, his commands, and his motives. And and there's got to be this major shift in the way we view God. Because I don't know if you noticed, remember the, the definition I gave a second ago of paradigm shift? A paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. Our change in approach is always informed by our underlying assumptions. See, your behavior, here's what that means, your behavior is revealing what you actually truly believe. A change in our approach is always informed by our underlying assumptions. And he says, for this paradigm shift, where you begin to buy in, the pathway to thrive and experience that is loving others begins with your fundamental assumption of who God is. Notice what he says. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As the Father has loved me. Now Jesus is talking about about his relationship with God the Father. He says, so have I loved you. He's changing the picture from divine metaphor and he's unpacking what happened in the previous eight verses. He's saying, listen, as the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. What you need to know about God's heart towards you, his disposition towards you, is it is one fundamentally of love. He loves you. He's for you. He longs to be with you. He looks down on you the same way when I hold my little kids. When I had to leave my kids coming tonight, there's something in my heart that just broke because I love them. I long to be with them. And when I see them, I come home and they run to me. My heart leaps. And he says, with that affection, times a billion or infinity is my affection and attitude towards you. Now think about this. Think about what would change if you really believed that God loved you right where you're at. That you didn't have to earn your way and work your way. But just because you're his kid, he loves you. That he's not against you, but he's for you. That he's not out to get you, but he's actually good. The first fundamental assumption that has to change in our view about God is his heart. Because I think if we're honest, when we think about his heart, and a lot of the reasons why we run the race and do the things that we do is we just think his heart, that he doesn't really love us, that he doesn't really like us. And it says more about what we think about ourselves because a lot of times we don't really like us, do we? And his heart and his attitude and disposition towards you, not based on anything you do, is one of love. And then notice his commands. 
Because this is, this is a major one. I hope you get this. I hope you don't miss this next one. His commands, if his love, if his heart is one of love, his commands is for your best. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. First, I just love to point out, Jesus is saying the same way that I relate to the father is the same way you relate me. That's the type of relationship he longs to have. Now, when we say commands, all of a sudden, we kind of go like, oh, there's something about our American, like, kind of, you can't tell me what to do, right? I mean, maybe just me, okay. (laughs) Who is he to command me? Well, well, first of all, let's start the conversation. He's God, okay? Right? He's God, creator of the universe. I mean, even, even if we uh, don't necessarily agree on all the things, but you agree that there is a God, you would say, hey, he, he, he's got the right to command. But, but let me give you this picture. Because he's painting the picture of a father. See, the paradigm shift or the shift that needs to happen when you're thinking about his commands, what we fundamentally think about is he has these commands to withhold good from us, that we're missing out, that somehow here's the boundaries of God's rule and command, and in that boundary is it's lame, and outside is awesome. And so we're always going, what about out there? Now, with my kids, I have a rule. And, and you may think I'm a very mean dad, very close-minded, cruel, evil dad. I don't let them play in the street. I'm sorry, I, I just don't. I, I, I mean, but it's fun in the street, and there's more room in the street. I know. But, but I don't want them to have fun. And, and I really want them to miss out. And, and I always want them to think of their dad as the dad that kept them from doing all the fun things, and I'm just the mean dad. I, I, that's just the perspective I want them to have. Come on now. Right? Why don't I let my kids play in the street and I live on a busy street? Because they'll die. <laughs> Because as a dad, I look at them and I love them and I provide things around them. And what it says is remaining in my love isn't so much is remaining in the boundaries in which I say this is the way life was designed to be for you to thrive. See, we understand what a guardrail is in driving, don't we? A guardrail doesn't keep you from that fun cliff that you wish you could go over, (laughs) does it? It keeps you from the dangerous drop-off that can kill you. God says, when you think about my commands, it's not because I'm against you, not because I'm, I love you. In fact, here's the paradigm shift. At the heart of every single command in the Bible is an I love you from your heavenly Father to you. 
He says, within this box, you will thrive. It is the guardrails of life. And if you step beyond that, you can do it. It breaks my heart and you step outside and you do it your own way. I get that. But there's pain and there's heartache. And for some, there's even destruction. And I don't want you to go through that. I want you to know that my ways are good and my heart for you is one of love. And so my commands are for your best. His heart, one of love, his commands for your best, his motive or his goal. Now think about this. God's goal, God's got a goal for you. His aim, his objective in your life, think about this, is for your joy. Do you ever think about that? Think about this. The God of the universe says, I want to leverage who I am in your life for your joy. He'll also say, for my glory, for your joy. Notice what he says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. His motive and his goal is he longs for you to experience joy. He's not the God who's withholding. He's the God who's held nothing back, including his son for you. He's trustworthy. See, the paradigm shift here is when we think accurately about God, it, it, it invites us then to go, okay, God, if that's true, if your heart for me is one of love, if that's true, if your commands are for my best, and if your objective in my life is for my joy, what, what is your command? What, what, what do you want me to do? And then he says this, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. When you begin to lean in and live a life that lives outwardly and loves others the way he has loved you, the way Jesus has loved you, he says, within that boundary, one, you're, you're going to pray a whole lot more. You're going to get into my word a whole lot more. You're going to experience me a whole lot more because that's the way I design life to be. Well, the question is, how has he loved you? moves us to our second shift. First is our shift about God. Second is the shift about ourselves. Uh, how we view ourselves. And we ask the question, how has Jesus loved us? We unpack literally three positional truths. These truths, uh, positional truths, something that is true about you, irregardless of how you feel, what you do, or what you don't do. It's true about you, no matter what you do or don't do. It's just true. This, these are positionally true of who you are. Uh, I tweeted something about my dad, and it was a, uh, he made a comment uh, about it. And it, was, it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. I tweeted, he used to drill into my head this idea of, uh, of self-discipline. I, I struggled with it early on. And uh, now this, is, this phrase lingers in my mind. It's so helpful. Self-discipline is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, irregardless of how you feel about it. And I was like, oh man, it's so powerful. But I, you know, my dad, you know, was a, a notable guy and I didn't say his name. I just said my dad. And one of his people in his office said, kind of bringing him, it's like, yeah, you didn't say Chip Ingram, you just said my dad. I said, yeah, you know why? Because I live in the realm of sonship. I'm your kid, and you're my dad, and that will never change. And the same is true for my kids. 
There is a positional truth, a reality for my kids because they're an Ingram and they're my kids and there's some things that are true about them that's only true about them because they're my kids. And this is what God is saying about you because you're his kids. Three positional truths. First, first it almost seems like a repeat, but man, I, I think we just need to hear it over and over again. First positional truth, you are loved by God. First positional truth, you're beloved. You're loved. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. See, it's not just any kind of love from the God of the universe. He says, it is the greatest extent of love shown. The the greatest extent of love that I could ever show for any of my friends would be to lay down my life for them. I I can't go any further because I got nothing left to give after that, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. And Jesus says, the greatest extent I have shown you, positionally true about you, you are loved. Man, think about this. If you, just, if you just believe that, if you just embrace the reality, how, how your day would change, you would stop seeking for that guy or that gal to, to bring meaning and add value to you. You stop running the rat race and trying to work your way here or there or try to kind of look something You're like, dude, I'm loved. I'm good. Because the God of the universe, I'm his kid. I'm his kid. It's true of me. It's true of you. First positional truth. You are loved. Second positional truth. You are friends with God. First, you're beloved. Second, you're befriended. Notice what he says, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Befriended. There's only two people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that were called friends of God. You know who they are? Anybody? I heard one. Moses? Absolutely, Moses. Don't be afraid. And Abraham, yeah, Abraham and Moses, yeah. And then Jesus opens the doors wide open. He says there's, there's something true and there's an invitation here. Uh, New Testament scholar William Barclay writes this in his commentary on the Gospel of John about this passage. This phrase is lit up by a custom practice at the courts, both of the Roman emperors and the kings in the Middle East. At these courts, there was a very select group called, notice, the friends of the king or the friends of the emperor. At all times, they had access to the king. They even had the right to come to his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. He talked to them before he talked to his generals, his rulers, his statesmen. The friends of the king were those who had the closest and most intimate connection with him. Did you notice that? At all times they had access. See, he's invited you not just to be friends with anyone. You are invited and called and beckoned, and you are positionally friends with the king of the universe. Full and complete access. Anytime, anywhere, 
no matter what you did last night or didn't do. He says, I've called you friends. You have access. As a kid, my dad was pastor of a large church, and I remember when I was probably like Ella's age, I think I was nine or ten years old, and back then there weren't any cell phones, right? Anybody remember those days? Okay, yeah, good, 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 good. Um, and, and so we, the only way to access was like through, you know, the whole rotary dial-up phone. We actually had a rotary phone, uh, which was awesome. It took forever to dial your girlfriend's number, and you messed up. You had to go back through everything. Um, but... But my dad said to me, because to get a hold of him, you would call the church and do all this kind of stuff. You always got his assistant, and you could never quite get through. And, and he's like, son, I just want to say this. And he wrote down this number. And, and this is back in those days. This is my direct line. It goes straight to me. It doesn't get rerouted through the front person and his assistant. It just goes straight to his office. There is, it doesn't work with the, you know, you put it on hold or silent or any of those sort of things. This is his direct line, and he's like, call it any time. I'm like, hey, Dad. Hey, son, what's up? Nothing, I just want to see if it worked. No. <laughs> You have direct access. Positionally true, you are befriended by the king of the universe. He calls you friend, and you are his beloved. And finally, you're chosen by God. I just love that. You're chosen. This is, this is the one that I just got stuck on this week that so grabbed my heart. You're chosen by God. Notice what it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go bear fruit, that you might thrive, fruit that lasts, that you might have an impact on this world, that, you're, that your life would shape eternity. And that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We're going to do a prayer series in a couple weeks, and we'll unpack that phrase a little bit more. But I just want to sit with this idea that you're chosen. I mean, just think about it. God of the universe looks at you, not the person next to you. Well, yes, the person next to you. And he says, I chose you. I Just think about this. I want you. Will you choose me? Think about this. The God of the universe chose you. You stand before him as the object of his affection. You stand before him as friends with God. You stand before him as chosen. And you did nothing to earn any of it. It is what he has declared to be true of you because you are his kid. He says, paradigm shift. When you think thoughts about God that are accurate, that his heart towards you is one of love, that his commands are for your good and that his motives are for your joy, and when you begin to think about yourself 
and you stop playing the shame game and you start, stop playing the guilt trip. I think far too many followers of Jesus live under this rain cloud of guilt and shame and somehow God's against them. And he's going, this is true about you. Just start living into it. It's not earning it. You have a relationship to enjoy. Thank you. So he says, as a result, the paradigm shift. This is my command. Love each other. The pathway to thriving is loving others the way Jesus has loved you. It requires a paradigm shift. To do this, there's an axiom that I've stumbled across, and probably you have too, is that love, to love, to actually love somebody it takes place, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the margins of life. It takes place, and every book has them right. You ever notice that books always have margins? And I mean, you think you could save publishers lots of money. Cut out the margins. You cut down your cost. The margins create the ability to see the whole picture. If it's already stretched to the margins, you have trouble reading and understanding. It just feels chaotic and cluttered. And yet we live lives without margins. We're talking about this, and, and the reality is, is the reason we often live without margins is because we live in a paradigm is the more I have, the more, the happier I'll be, and somehow we're trying and trying to achieve and attain and have somebody say, you're a somebody, you're worth it, you're... And God said, you're a somebody, and you're worth it. And so you don't have to strive any longer. And to really love, you have to have margin. You have to have space. You have to have some time that's unhurried because relationships always happen in the margins of life. Unhurried space. We've been praying as a community this three by five challenge where we're praying for some of our friends who don't know Jesus yet and just wrote it on a three-by-five card and, and praying for them, trying to every day. And then we've been praying this prayer, God, will you give me uh, an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? And, and I gotta be honest, as I read that final point of my position, you are chosen God brought this really fresh conviction into my heart that I've been praying that prayer passively. See, he said, as I have loved you, now you go love others. See, he says, you're loved by God. How did he love sacrificially? That's how you're called to love others. You're befriended by God. Full access, it's intimate, relational. That's how you're called to love others. You're chosen by God. That's how you're called to love others, where you pursue. Notice this, God was proactive with you, and he's calling you and I to be proactive with others. And for me, I just began to wrestle with that. 
because I was praying that prayer, God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? But I was praying it so passively, and so I'd pray it, and then I'd just go, all right, God, go to work, <laughs> you know? Oh, and I'd go, God, well, I guess, you know, nothing, you didn't have anything for me. And I, and I just read that, and I'm chosen by God. God was proactive and pursued me. So I began to pray that prayer. It started on Thursday. I said, okay, God, I'll be proactive. Now, this is scary. So I'm on, I'm on my run, and I go for runs three or four times a week, and I, I'm not just to try to maintain so I can eat as much as I want. That's really the goal of running. <laughs> not not going to lie to you. <laughs> but I go on the run in the neighborhood. It's the same route every single every single day. And I pass this one house because it's the time I loop back, actually about three or four times on my route. And I notice this family that's always outside in front of the house. Um, And so uh, we've gotten to the point where we're starting to recognize each other, you know. And, And so I, as I, because I'm the weird guy that runs in front of his house like four times. And so, like, I see him driving in in his car, and I'm running past, and I give him the wave, and he gives me the wave, and, you know, we had this, like, deep, meaningful connection, you know, we waved, and he parks, and I keep running by, and and I just felt like, man, I'm supposed to invite him to church. And I'm like... Well, that's not a very good opening line, first of all, you know. You want to come to church, you know. And so as I'm running around and about to come back to this house, it's like, okay, God, I'll, I'll invite him to church. Um, so if he's outside, you know, if he's outside, I'll stop. And I hate stopping in my run, you know, but I will. But I'll stop and, and, and I'll talk with him and I'll invite him to church. And I come around the corner and he's not outside. I'm like, <sighs> off the hook, you know, I'm like, all right, <laughs> made it, um, and I come around by his house, and I just get this impression, prompting, whatever, why don't you, uh, why don't you knock on his door, because that's creepy, that's why, that's, that, I mean, that's just what a creepy, sweaty guy, what, And I was like, no, God, you know, I run this daily. I see him all the time next time. And I get about 30 yards down, and it's like, well, what are you afraid of? Well, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? That he just thinks I'm a little funny. But I had this, I literally had this thought. Who knows? Maybe God could be preparing his heart for this very moment. And I didn't have the courage to step into it. So I stopped about 30 yards back, and I walked back to his door. I mean, I'm drenched. I mean, I'm just drenched. And I I knock on the door. I hear the kids inside, and I sit there for like 45 seconds, nothing. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm good. Knock again, okay. Knock again, nothing. So I I decided to do the, the, like, happy knock, you know, the, um, that knock. And I don't know if they're trying to ignore me or whatever, but finally they came to the door, and, and this gal who uh, was their au pair opened the door, and, uh, and I, I kind of looked at her, and I knew she was, I, I didn't know she was the au pair at the time, but I knew she wasn't his wife, um, but I, I didn't know how to, I was so caught off guard, I didn't know what to say, I was expecting 
the husband, and so I don't know his name, and so I was like, is um, the husband home? <laughs> so she looks at me and says, the husband? <laughs> and I go, yeah, I, I don't know him. <laughs> But I'm a neighbor, and I'm on a run, and I, I just want to talk to uh, the husband. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm in it now. <laughs> so she goes into the, the kitchen. She says, it's for you. And, and he says, well, who is it? And he's, she says, he says he doesn't know you. <laughs> So he comes to the door, and I mean, I'm drenched, and I'm still kind of breathing a little hard from my run, and I'm going, hey, man, <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> Rich, <laughs> I was thinking, said, dude, this, this is kind of weird and a little off the wall, but I just I was running, back, uh, running by, I had this thought, and thought I'd just wanted to know, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I uh, thought, man, I wondered if you wanted to... Go to church with me and my family. I, I know it's kind of strange, you know, and I'm like trying to give him all the ways to shut the door on me. And he goes, uh, I loved his response because he kind of looked down and he looked at me. And he's like, I don't think it's strange at all. If you're really into that, I don't see why you wouldn't want everyone else to be. Good point. Good point. <laughs> And he said, I, I'm, not, I'm not a church goer. I don't, didn't grow up, didn't do any of that. And I don't know why I said this. And I said, well, I figured. Not like he looked like a heathen or something like that. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, obviously you don't go to church, you know. That's not it. And he's like, you know what? I'll talk to my wife. And, and we'll see. We'll see if we might come. And I said, dude... I'd love for you to come just to check it out and get your feedback. I'd love to hear your perspective on what it looks like from never going to church. And he's like, yeah, honestly, most of my experiences with church and church people have been fairly negative. It's like, I get that. And I'm sorry. And we spent the next 45 minutes standing in his yard as his kids played and we just talked about life and we talked about our kids and we found out that we both love and play volleyball and we're trying to get time where we can go play some volleyball together. It's a paradigm shift. The pathway to thriving is loving others the way Jesus loved you. This axiom in that is love always requires margin. Taking breaks out of your runs and space and time to love others the way Jesus loved you. I gotta tell you, I ran home so excited Thursday. Unexpected, impromptu, random stranger knocking on a random stranger's door. And it's in the middle of that mix that God showed up that I have a new friend. And I'd invite you, if you would pray for my friend Rich, that he and his family would come to know Jesus. And that as I run by and I'm, you know, going to keep talking and hanging out with him.
Imagine. Imagine if we started actually living this out. Imagine what God would do in the city if we just started going, okay, God, we're in. This is your heart towards us, and this is what's true about us. Amen. Because it doesn't matter others of people's opinion. It doesn't matter all this other stuff. Amen. What you'll experience is what I experienced Thursday. Man, I was so lit up. I was like, my brother called. I'm like, dude, you'll never guess what happened. I just did the craziest, creepiest thing, and yet God showed up in the middle of it. I was like on this high. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm telling my wife. My parents come home, and you know, they're watching my kids, and they come over. I'm like, I I didn't even let them get in the door. I'm like, let me tell you the story. (laughs) And I pray. I long, I dream that we'll be a people who are full of those stories. Why not you and me? And why not now? And maybe you're here and you don't yet have a relationship with the God of the universe and you need to receive him and you can do that tonight and you didn't know God loves you. And Jay and the band are going to come up and lead worship. And I just invite you. I'm going to be over here in the corner. And if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, and in fact, Annie Benke will be in this corner. And if, you, and if you want to start a relationship with him or if you need prayer, you just come to the corners and we'd love to pray for you. Would you stand? And I'll pray for us. God, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your great grace. Thank you that as your affection never varies for us, and may we live in the freedom and the wonder of your love. God, in this moment, may we step fully into the life you designed. For some, God, you are calling them to a specific thing, and would you give them the courage to respond? In Jesus' name, amen.